0: Welcome to Dark Materials. I'm Fay. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is usually a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free.
1: But in this very special episode, we are interviewing the one and only Daphne Keane, who plays Lyra in the BBC and HBO TV adaptation. Oh my god, I'm so excited. (laughs) Uh, What is life? What is life? What is life? Uh, This is so exciting. Well done, Faye, for sending those scary emails and getting Daphne's people to agree to it. And thank you, times a million bajillion to Daphne for agreeing to talk to us she was such a pleasure such a delight to talk to you yeah thank you so
0: much Daphne as I say in the interview she is wise beyond her years we loved talking to her she was so much fun had so many good insights into his dark materials and she is such a powerhouse I love it so much
1: I am so here for a badass feminist playing a badass feminist character Daphne is brilliant she really is
0: and also thank you to her dad, Will Keane, who helped us with the setup uh, and also plays Father Macphail in His
1: Dart Materials. So yeah, thanks, Will, if you're listening to this. We appreciate your time as well. Yes, they both took time out of a busy, a busy but what should have been a chilled Sunday to speak to us and we are immeasurably grateful for it. Again, with these intros, we, we never really have much to say
0: other than to just gush over the interview that we just did. So I think we should probably just let the people get into it, right?
1: Yeah, they're not here to listen to us, they're here to hear what Daphne has to say. Without further ado, let's get into it.
0: Hi Daphne, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. We're very, very excited to have you. We kind of lost our minds a little bit when we got the email saying that you would agree to do this, so yeah, thank you so much.
2: (laughs) Honestly, it's the most fun thing I've had happening to me in like two and a half months, so I'm really happy to be here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh god oh, good. yeah we have had so many questions for you and our listeners have also lost their minds when we told them that we were doing this so plenty of questions and everyone sends their love as well I think that's the main thing from when we put a call out on social media everyone oh. just wanted you to know how much they loved you as Lyra so
2: oh that's so sweet
1: yeah I wanted to say we hope you're okay in lockdown <laughs> oh god <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> so if it's Okay, with you, we're just going to jump into the questions.
2: Go for it.
0: Great, okay. We've kind of split them into two sections. So the first group of questions are from Rach and I, and then we'll jump into some listener questions afterwards. Great. First question for you that we had was, before you auditioned for Lyra, had you read the books?
2: No, I hadn't actually, which is very bad of me. I should have read the books, but I didn't. And I went to the audition and I said I had, and then I got the part and then I read the books and then I became obsessed by them. So technically I have read them now. I'm a massive fan. I've read all five books, completely obsessed, read them all in like a week back to back in between takes. If you ask anyone from set, from season one, I was reading book three during the film because I'd already read book one and two in like one week back to back and in between takes like i looked like such a geek I was just in between takes with my book this is like in the corner and then obviously like on set you'd hear spoilers from people they'd be like oh you know when Will and Lyra and I was like just stop I'm reading it <laughs> but, yeah. yeah so I'm a massive fan now, but I hadn't read them when I went to do the audition. Had you so this is coming from me who
0: hadn't ever read them either and Had kind of heard of them, but not really? Like, did you know of them? or do you heard of Philip Pullman and His Dark Materials before?
2: My godmother really, really liked them. So I'd heard her mention them a few times. But what I really had contact with, like, I'd obviously heard people talk about them, but I was quite young when they came out. Like, I think the first one, I wasn't even born yet when it came out. So what I grew up with was the film, which was, like, one of my best friend's favourite films. So every time I went over to her house, it was, like, constantly The Golden Compass so I thought, I was really confused because it's called The Golden Compass, but the book's called Northern Lights. So they told me, like, you're auditioning for Northern Lights. And I was like, okay, cool. And then I found out that in the States, they call it Golden Compass. And that's why I was called like that. So I went into the audition and I was like, oh, so this is the same thing. So that's how I knew about it. And then I read the books and I was like, wow.
0: That's super interesting that you'd seen The Golden Compass and now you are playing Lyra. So you would have watched that as a kid, <laughs> watched somebody else playing Lyra, and now you've grown up to play her. That's really great. It's crazy. Yeah.
1: Do you think that the portrayal of Lyra in the Golden Compass film informed your portrayal of Lyra, or did you try to kind of put that to one side when you went into the role?
2: I don't think I based it on her at all. I think probably maybe there are things I do unconsciously that seem like her, but nothing conscious, because I think... Mainly, the film had much less time to evolve the story and Philip's books are so complex and they're so long, so you need a lot of time, which we have a lot of in the show. Also, the fact that it's the show is more adult than the film, it's a bit darker, even if we take the ending of season one and the film like Roger doesn't die in the film and Roger dies in the show like that is just how did you
1: feel when you read the end of that first book having seen the film when you found out that Roger actually dies (laughs) because I remember being very almost angry that they hadn't done it in the film because it's such an emotional moment in the books
2: I was right so I was reading the book and I thought I was reading it and I was like going Oh, there are things that the film doesn't have but like I sort of overall know what's going to happen like she's going to go to Bolvanger she's going to find Roger Billy is going to be alive and then I read the book and it's like Tony Macario dies and then Roger dies and then I was like okay wow well this is different and then I like I finished the book and then Roger died but I didn't really like integrate it so I was like that was weird like what just happened so I went back and then I see Asriel has killed Roger and I was like well that didn't happen in the film so I was reading that and I was crying I was proper crying I was in bed reading it and I was like is just dead like what the hell like how is this even and I called Lewin and I was like Lewin Roger dies did you know this and Lewin was like yeah Like, I, I'd read the books and I was like this is not fair like why does Roger die but it was a big surprise so the movie really I thought I was going in knowing everything and I did not know everything
0: Yeah, I have never seen The Golden Compass. So when Rach and I are towards the end of Northern Lights, so what we do is we go through it chapter by chapter. And I think we've got like three chapters left and we're going to watch The Golden Compass. And I've heard so much about it. And I'm I'm looking forward to watching it and like kind of seeing what I think. But I wonder what I would have thought if I went in kind of blind like you guys did and didn't really know what they were going to do with it. But I've heard so much that I'm intrigued now.
2: Definitely. I think it's much like watching it without having read the books is a different experience to then. So I read the books and then it was this weekend that I was alone in Cardiff during season one. Like no kids were there. There were no actors. It was just like me recording with green screen. So it was just like no one was around. So I was alone this weekend. It was raining. I was in Cardiff. I was a bit gloomy. And I saw that the Golden Compass was like on TV. So I thought, huh I'll watch this while I'm filming it and I've now read all of the books so I thought I'll watch it and then I watched it and I was like this is so different so it is actually very interesting and I think you will appreciate the difference between like the books the show and the film Mm.
0: yeah I'm interested yeah that's interesting actually because obviously for you both and a lot of other people you won't have had the experience of having the full tv show and the books. And the Golden Compass film, so yeah, I'm mm, I'm interested. I'm gonna. I've heard I've heard bad things. I've heard good things. So I'm gonna hold out my uh, my judgment.
2: <laughs> hold out. Just go in without any prejudice. Just do it because it's true that it's had it's been very controversial. Like people loved it. People didn't like it. It's it's strange. So I'd say go with an open mind. I will. I will definitely.
1: <laughs> we had an interview a few weeks ago with Dan and Carlene the casting producers and we heard all about the process from their end but we'd love to hear about how that was for you
2: I did my first audition like right after I finished Logan so like when I was 11 12 and then I didn't get called back for ages and I thought oh well I probably was another girl like the description of her was like curly blonde hair and I'm obviously not curly blonde hair so I got that I'd I'd read that and I was like I'm definitely not going to get this part and I'd sent in the audition and they didn't reply and then like a year later they called me up and they were they just said we want to do we want you to audition again and then I did another audition and I was like I'm definitely not going to get this because I'm very pessimistic so then I was like really nervous about it and then my last audition like my last self-tape I did after filming a movie I did in the summertime of 2017 which I did with Andy Garcia and my audition I got like emailed a few days like on my holiday my three-day holiday that summer I got emailed they were like we need your self-tape in now and I did a self-tape in my hotel room but I'd just been stung by a jellyfish that morning so like my face was completely swollen like it was really bad like it was completely red and it was like one of these Caribbean like proper jellyfish that are like massive and it had gone, like, all across my face. You would have thought, maybe my leg. Like, you're not going to see my leg. No, it has my face. So, like, if you see the audition, like, it's a complete, like, red rash. Oh, no. And I thought, well, if if they see me with a massive red rash on my face, I'm definitely not going to get the part. And then they called me up to do an audition with Ruth. And I came into the room. And I remember I sat down. The first thing that Ruth ever said to me was, like, hi, nice to meet you. And then the first thing she said to me, apart from introducing herself, was, wow, we have the same eyebrows. And I was, like, What? <laughs> But yeah, that was the the auditions for (laughs) HDM. Amazing. (laughs) How did you
0: prepare for the role of Lyra? Uh, Did you feel a lot of pressure because she's quite an iconic character?
2: There was a lot of preparation going going into it. I always my mom's my coach, so I always like before the day that I'm filming, I always do like a ton of rehearsing and stuff. But preparing character wise, I just I read the books firstly, and I like underlined all of the things I thought were important for Lyra and my the line that really stuck out to me was this line that Marcosta says in the first book which sadly got cut out of the show but I love this line which is they're talking about like what Egyptians are and stuff and Marcosta says to Lyra Egyptians are water characters or something like that and then she said maybe I can be Egyptian and she says no Lyra you're you're not water you're marsh fire yeah she said that and I that really stuck out to me And then once, so we rehearsed a lot and I thought a lot and I always, for my characters, I always think of different ways of having them smile and do things differently so that they don't always look like the same character. So I figured out Lyra's laugh and Lyra's smile and Lyra's way of talking and walking. And it's sort of, it's gotten much better during time because obviously it helped a lot. As soon as I got into the rehearsal room, I met Lou and Lloyd who really helped me with that because us uh, we really clicked dynamically. So we really worked as a duo and we really figured out, like he figured out Roger really well and I figured out Lyra. And obviously Roger really important to Lyra. So that really made us get into contact with our character. And then we worked a lot with Ruth, which also made me... So it's just I feel like a lot of the actors around me helped me a lot. And Lyra's in season two, for example, she's evolving a lot for, because I've worked with... Amir who plays Will and she's different when she's with him because obviously she's like a tiny bit older now and the relationship's slightly different and the relationship with Ruth is different. It's just it's I think it's all how characters interact in between each other and I had a great help of Russell Dodgson. He makes all of the demons and stuff and the puppeteers so that really helped because the first few weeks we just did full-on just demon investigation of us just in rehearsal rooms with puppets and then they took us to this little farm and we got to hold ermines and ferrets and like birds and stuff so we would know the actual weight of them and stuff and that really helped and we got to, there was a lot of demon investigation which went into it so it was just it was all a team effort like the actors really helped my mom obviously because she's my coach russell helped the puppeteers seeing all of lyra's world which joel created was just amazing that's just really helpful for as an actor
1: because you were talking about the all the demon interactions and stuff did you find it difficult working with the puppets or working with cg characters is it something you've done much of before or was this quite a new experience
2: i'd worked with cg before on logan but it wasn't you look at logan and you think oh it's it looks pretty CG but it's really not it was mostly makeup all the effects and stuff so we were so all they did was like the claws obviously coming out and little things like that but there wasn't like HDM where it's full on like completely all of the last I'd say three episodes is me in a soundstage with gray stuff moving around and green like that was all it was and obviously paper snow, which was very annoying. But demon-wise, it was, it was really weird filming with the demons the first three days, I'd say, because obviously we'd investigated with them a lot. But once you're on camera, you obviously... So what we did was we did a first take with the demon, and then they take the demon out. They called out the puppet pass. And then you'd have to remember what the demon had done. But it's really weird. I now do it quite well because I've been doing it for like two years. But at the beginning, you have to be aware that in every three person scene for example like us right now there's three of us it would be six so I don't only have to be looking at you I have to be looking at you and your demon and I have to be looking at my demon seeing if he's ratting me out if I'm lying about something so that was a bit complex at the beginning but then once you get the hang of it it's much better and it's actually really helpful actor wise because you can see the other characters intentions better yeah
0: great right we actually um we spoke to russell dodgson a couple of weeks ago and he was so lovely and very complimentary about you and your family and yeah he told us loads of really cool stuff about the cg and the demons and stuff and yeah he was really great to talk to
2: oh i love russell uncle russell he shows me all me like all of the music i listen to is russell recommended he's (laughs) like my music guru (laughs)
0: that's so great
2: (laughs) Love that. <laughs> one of the questions we had
0: as well, because obviously your dad played uh, Father MacPhail. <laughs> How was it working with him? Did you actually see each other on set? Because when you were both in, because I don't think you were in any scenes together.
2: One scene. We were, we had one um... scene together, but I did not I did not talk. Like Ruth said to me, "Run along now" or something like that, and I had to run out. But I don't. I've already worked with my dad in the past. Like I did yeah. my first show with him. He was my alcoholic dad who killed me. So I have worked with him. But it was kind of weird because everyone was like really wary about it. Like everyone the day before they were like, Are you comfortable with your dad working? And I was like, Yeah, of course I am. But it's quite weird because then like there was a few people who didn't know and they were like, That's so cool that you and Will Keane have the same surname. And I was like, he's my dad. Like you know, <laughs> I live with him. Like he's my dad.
1: We'd love to know, because I imagine the show is so hectic. You've got so many locations and then life on the sound stage and things as well. What does a day in the life of Lyra on set or a day in the life of Daphne on set look like do you have like crazy early mornings do you manage to fit school in amongst everything
2: we have to fit school in because if not we get shut down (laughs) (laughs) we do have to get school in which obviously child actors were not very fond of school like and obviously people filming with us they're not like directors filming with kids it's obviously a real pain in the backside for them because they constantly have to stop for us to get in like an hour schooling and three hours is the minimum So like we're constantly having to stop filming for like, quick get half an hour in. So first season one, it was quite hectic for everyone, the schooling, but at least. Like, there were other adults in the show except for the last few episodes where it was basically just me and Joe Tanberg, who is Yorick, and it was just, like, basically the both of us alone. And, but in the earlier ones, they could do all of the adult shots. But in season two, for example, when it's just me and Amir constantly, like Will and Lyra, and we're both underage, like, they'd constantly just have to stop filming completely because we both had to go to school, which is really annoying for us. For us and for them because they had to stop filming. But, yeah, so there's a lot of schooling. They're quite good because we get 15-minute breaks. So that we can chill out because we're obviously, we're professional, but we are still kids. It's very hectic moving from stage to stage because we have directors that are obviously slower and directors that are faster. But the main director, the end, the director of the end of season one and mostly most of season two is Jamie Childs and he's really quick. So you're constantly moving sets and stuff. He's amazing. He's really amazing. But it is quite hectic. Like we don't, as you said, location wise, we don't have that much. We just have Oxford. Because the rest is like Svalbard and you can't find Svalbard in the UK. But it's fun. We're all like a massive family on set. It's really chilled out. We all get on really well. Like I don't think there's anyone who I don't like on that set.
0: Yeah, we've heard before that it's like a big family. And everyone that we've spoken to has has been so kind and just so lovely about everything. And it just seems like a really nice place to work.
2: It is. I'm actually, I actually really miss it right now. Like as soon as we wrapped, I was just like really, really sad. We were all really sad when we wrapped.
0: This wasn't on our original list, but it just made me think because you said about working with Joe Tanberg and we watched the Making of documentary recently that's on the BBC iPlayer. And we saw the shot of you sat on top of Yorick with like the man underneath that was like carrying you. What was that like? That must have been so weird.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, you're obviously really self-conscious about it because you're like, this man is basically carrying me like a backpack, and I can't move. And I got that really well. Like I was quite responsible about it. I'd obviously get really excited getting on a man. who was like walking me around everywhere like I was a queen. And then we had to film this <laughs> scene with Lewin where he had to sit like behind me. if you would look at it in the show when we're both like riding on Yurik. Oh, my God. Lewin is like, lewin, I'm very I'm a very active person, but I'd been working with the guys like being yorick for a couple weeks and lewin hadn't lewin had just come back from his break because obviously roger isn't in a couple of the episodes so it was the first time him riding on yorick and we called him ants in his pants because he kept on like moving and i was like lewin we have two human beings under us you can't just be like moving around but it was it was really funny like it was the guys were like just please stop we're human beings underneath you But it's really weird just looking at that and just like guys with a backpack that you ride on. It's just like, it's the weirdest show I've ever filmed. Like, honestly, it's awkward.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine that would have been super weird to film.
2: So weird.
1: Oh, well, that kind of brings us to one of the, we've got a great list of questions from Instagram. And uh, someone wants to know what was the hardest or most challenging scene that you've done that you're allowed to tell us about.
2: So that leaves us with season 1, so I'd say my hardest scene from season 1. It's going to sound really stupid. It's this scene that eventually we had to refilm in December, but we filmed it in August in boiling hot, do you remember that heat wave there was in like 2018? Yeah. In this house with no air conditioning, so many lights which were heating up and then the sun was coming in and I was wearing like this wool dress and like tights and leather boots. And Ruth was wearing this really thick velvet jacket and like velvet dress and boots. So we were both like boiling hot. We had to film this scene together and it was probably like, I'm not exaggerating, 45 Celsius, but with a ton of humidity. So we were both like dying. And they, it got to the point where they brought leaf blowers to put up our dresses. And we were like, it was just like so <laughs> surreal, like a whole entire set crammed into this tiny little room with us having leaf blowers up our dress. It was just like, <laughs> that's probably the worst scene ever. We were both like sweating. It was, it was not a good look. Ruth has to be glamorous and she was like completely just sweat.
1: You've got a couple of big Mrs. Coulter fans in the room and we'd love to know more about the work that you did with Ruth because obviously the relationship between Lyra and Mrs. Coulter is so complex and Ruth does such a great job. And we'd kind of love to know about how it was working with her and how you worked out the intricacies of that relationship between the two of you.
2: Well, as I said, we did a lot of rehearsing and most of my rehearsals were with her because obviously... The other scenes, you rehearse on the day and you obviously do rehearse them. But the most intense scenes are obviously, for example, the bag scene, which is the proper full on scene. Like just all of my scenes with Ruth, there is not one single chilled out scene ever because like she's always tense and I'm always like sensing the tension and stuff. There's some really great stuff in season two, which is like my favorite thing to film in my entire acting career. Like I think they're going to look forward to that. But filming with Ruth was really interesting because At the beginning, I could tell that, like, I'd met Ruth when I was, like, 12 for the audition, obviously. And then I came back, and I was 13, and we were filming, and she obviously thought, oh, my God, I don't want to freak out this girl. But she hadn't realized, like, I – obviously, this wasn't my first rodeo. So I was, like, kind of – I was really, like, a bit creeped out by her because, obviously, she's very creepy. But she was, like, trying to be super, like, you know, everything is fake, da-da-da. And then once she realized, like, I was completely – I was just going to – full on enjoy her psychopathy in the show. Like I just we just really, really enjoyed it. That's what we did. We just full on there were a lot of takes that they didn't put in there where just me and Ruth just like throwing stuff at each other and like a spat camomile in her face once. It was just what we did Ruth's preparation and I was just like, we got to know each other. And then we just went crazy on set, like mad.
0: You obviously, like you said, His Dark Materials is not your first rodeo at all. And you've met some amazing people throughout your career, I'm sure. Was there anyone in His Dark Materials that you were particularly excited to work with?
2: I think of it like everyone, because I remember I came in and they basically had just cast Ruth. And I was like, I'd heard about the affair but I was again like 12, 13 so I hadn't watched the affair and then I watched the affair and I was like and then it was a bit weird because I was like oh what's my mom doing having sex it was like a bit like i'm sorry <laughs> and then not that long before filming they still didn't have asriel and everyone like no one none of the producers wanted to tell us who asriel was gonna be and like i remember me and lewin just like snooping around all of the offices to see if you know like usually they have photos of the people they're trying to cast and they're like cross them off or whatever so we like sneak into offices at lunchtime and just like check if they'd cast asriel yet and they'd never—they'd have all of the other casting options up except for Asriel because he was, like, such a big deal. And we were like, oh, my God, I really don't know. And then we heard somewhere that it might be James McAvoy, and we got really excited. And obviously, Llewyn already knew James McAvoy because his dad, Jamie... Had already worked with him. So he was like, oh, I already know James. And I was like, oh my God. And then they told us it was James and it was like this massive deal. And then obviously Clark came and I watched The Wire and I was like, oh my God. And then James Cosmo and then Anne-Marie. And it was just like raining with amazing people. And I was like, I can't, I, I can't take all of these amazing people.
1: I would love to know as a reader and especially if it changed once you reached the end of the first book, what your opinion of Asriel is as a character because we very much fall in different places because when I first read the books I was a lot younger and I kind of took Lyra's point of view of thinking he's this cool uncle reading them again knowing what happens to Roger my opinion of Asriel is very colored by that and I wonder if that's something that you ever had conversations about when doing Lyra and Asriel work or something that's changed for you as a reader as well
2: I think I understand Lyra's point of view, like I understand her daddy issues. So I understand like why she really loves her uncle because he's basically the only blood family she has. And I think that's the entire journey of Lyra in season one is discovering that your family doesn't have to be your blood family. Like your family can be someone you just love. That's family. So Roger is family and Lee's family and Yorick's family. Mrs. Coulter and Azriel are technically blood family, but they're not your family because they don't care about you and they don't treat you well. And I think that's basically Lara's journey, realizing like what is love and what isn't love during like throughout the three books. I don't like Azrael because I think he's a terrible parent because you don't have a child lie to it for thirteen years of its life, and then like be rude to it and tell him to like not follow you around and just being rude about it. I just don't, I don't like him. I think he's an incredible character. I think I would love to play Asriel if I was an old man. Like I would love to play Asriel because he's a very interesting character to play. But he is not a good person. And that is confirmed by the fact that he kills an 11 year old child in cold blood. Like, I'm sorry, that is not healthy. Like I do not like someone who does that. And there. Your daughter's best friend, like that is even more messed up. Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. So
2: I'd say I don't, I kind of have love for him, but I don't like him.
0: Yeah, that's a great answer. He, like you said, he's a great character, but if you're looking at him as a person, he's a horrible person. When I was reading the books for the first time, before any of the Roger stuff happened, I think and it's in the TV show as well, with you and James McAvoy, but when one of the first or second chapters where he nearly breaks Lyra's arm, like I think in the show he like pins you onto the desk. I was like, This is this is not a good person. This is a man abusing a child. This is what's happening right now.
2: Exactly. And Lyra is is in such need of love. She's such a needy child that she will tolerate a grown man, who is her father that she doesn't know, but he's her father, pinning her down onto a table with her arm and like almost breaking it. Like you say, that is crazy. That's not okay. But it is the need that Lyra has for love and family. And that's what basically gets her in all of these problems the entire time. Like, oh, Mrs. Coulter, Mrs. Coulter's a murderer. Oh, Azrael, real a murderer. Oh, Egyptians. It's like, it's just, why? Just, she just follows love. And you're just. sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't.
1: I'd love to know what you think having mentioned how many people that are murderers that she seems very attached to how you feel reading the books when Lyra comes to realizations like especially in the second book oh Will's a murderer therefore I can trust him or therefore he's safe (laughs) and I'd love to know what you think about how Lyra's mindset has led her to think that because someone is a murderer they are a protector as well.
2: I honestly, if I had an alithiometer and it says, oh, the person you're sharing a house with is a murderer, I wouldn't go, yay! Like, I mean, <laughs> that, that's not something I, Daphne, would do, but I can understand if you have grown up in a world full of magisterium who oppress people and secretly kill them. Like, Lee's a murderer, technically. Like, probably Lee's killed people. Yorick's killed. So I feel like all of Lara's heroes have killed people. So I feel book two wise, she would be worried about Will being a murderer if the alethiometer said he's a bad murderer. But it just says he's a murderer. So she thinks, oh, protection. And it's nothing I haven't handled before. Like my parents tried to kill my best friend. It's fine. Yeah, that's true.
0: But I think as well, that's what makes the book so good, right? So there's not this defined line between like good and evil. Like in the book, Mm -hmm. you can murder someone and still be a really great person and a love to Lyra or you can murder someone and be off the scale horrendous so we were talking about this in a recent chapter that we did and I can't remember what it was I think it might have been about Yorick and I just think that's great because I think that it's all about judgment right and we shouldn't be judging people on what they've done without going like delving a little bit deeper into why they might have done those things and then that's the kind of stuff that you want to get into rather than just being like you're a murderer you're terrible you're good
2: I think it's all about how you present murder. If you just cold-bloodedly kill a child like Azrael does and then just walk off a cliff, kiss your loved one, and then just leave with a dead body behind you, like, that is messed up. Yeah. But if, like, Yorick, you kill someone and then you feel bad about it for, like, 20 years or however long he's killed, like, that person there... It's different. It's your reaction to how you killed that person and how bad you feel about having killed that person. If you kill someone and you're an absolute psychopath and you just don't care about having killed someone, I think you're a bad person. If you've accidentally or killed someone or whatever, and then you feel bad about it, that proves that you're a good person. And I think that everyone can be redeemed. I think that no matter how bad you've been, you can end up being good. In the end, it's like this There's this amazing story about this man who was really bad in all of the the entire Holocaust and stuff. And then years later, he was called the savior angel because in a different concentration camp, he helped all of the people who were in the concentration camp with medicine and stuff because he'd like redeemed himself. So I think that's a very interesting question as about life, because are you who you were in the past or are you who you become the day you die i think you're not allowed to say if someone's good or bad until the day they die
1: it definitely speaks to the books as well because the levels of morality that can exist within a book where you have armored bears and a lot more of this like fantastical war going on a lot more of the brutality feels like it's so fictional it's so hard to like Put it on a scale as well but when you take that back into the real world and how that sits in our reality it's really interesting mm-hmm. to look at how that affects the different characters we had a question a while ago posed to us about the books that we'd like to hear your take on one of our listeners and readers of the books said that they really struggled to get to grips with lyra at the beginning of the second book because it felt like she lost all of her autonomy and just followed will blindly and became quite submissive almost in that Mm -hmm. way. And I'd love to know what you thought when you were reading the book, if it changed your opinion of Lyra or if you could like empathise with that.
2: I think I could empathise with it because when you've lost your most loved being, I haven't lost any brothers because I don't have any or anything like that. But I remember when my grandma died, it was really hard on me. And I can only imagine if that's your only family. It must be horrible. And I do understand that. What I did not... Like, as much was the fact that Lyra was following around this male and stuff. But I think we've solved it pretty well in the show. Lyra doesn't lose herself at all, I say. Like, she does. you do see she's having a bad time. You you see that she's suffering and stuff. But no, I still, I think it was quite coherent that when someone dies, you obviously, you're not your same strong self. Like, I've seen it in people whose parents have died and then the way they react about it. Just people around me, when their loved ones die, they just become different for a bit and then they come back. And I think that's what basically happened with Lyra in book two. I've
1: got another great one from Instagram here. If you could choose, now that you've read all the books, if you could choose any character from the His Dark Materials universe to play other than Lyra, who would you choose?
2: Can I say three? Yes, of course. <laughs> okay, great. I'd say, or Will Perry, because I love Will. I think is is a really interesting evolution as a character and he's a really nice character to play or mrs coulter obviously because i love psychopaths like they're just the best characters or lee because he's so cool like you just see lee and you're like he's cool i just think that lynn is so perfect for that part obviously i'm not saying that amir and ruth aren't but like lynn is just i'm sorry i didn't mention lynn earlier and now i'm like i love (laughs) lynn
0: yeah we had a similar thing with lynn actually because I'm sure you heard this as well. People were thinking, oh, Lynn's going to play Lee Scoresby. And if you remember the Golden Compass film, people it was quite an older man that had played him. And there was a lot of rumblings on Twitter about, oh, is Lynn going to do a good job? What's it going to be like? And I remember when Rich and I watched it and we were like, he's perfect. He's just the perfect Lee Scoresby. And like you and him have such a good rapport in the show as well. Like The way that you're like really like cheeky with each other, we liked a lot.
2: That is just us in real life, though. Like, there was barely any acting going on. Except we weren't allowed to sing on camera, which was, like, a thing we did a lot when we were on set. Like, I'm not lying. I'm not going to lie to you. We were constantly singing on set. Amazing. I'd heard about Lin, but, like, Hamilton's not massive in Spain, so I'd heard about him, obviously. Like, I remember I'd gone to New York a couple years before and we tried to get tickets, but I didn't really know what Hamilton was. And then Lou, and I was like, so, that like, he got cast and he was on the casting wall, and then I was like, Llewyn, I really don't know who Lin-Manuel Miranda was. And he was like, what are you saying? Are you crazy? And then he, he came over to my house and he just said, right, we're going to listen to Hamilton together. And we just like sat in bed and listened to Hamilton. And then we both like became obsessed by it. And then we both became obsessed by it In the Heights also. So I wasn't a fan. I wasn't going to be fangirling over him. But then I'd made myself... I'd put myself into this really embarrassing situation where like two days before filming, I had become a fangirl of him. And then he came on set and I was like, <laughs> hi. And then he was, I thought he was going to be, I didn't think he was going to be a diva, but I thought he was going to be a bit more like, and then he came on. And he was like lovely. And we spoke in Spanish because obviously he's Puerto Rican and I'd been in Puerto Rico and we talked about like Puerto Rican places that we loved and then we sang together. And then by now we've got we've even got like a group chat. And he sends me like videos of his kids and stuff. Like we get on really really well. And it's true. Like as soon as you saw him, you'd be like, he's not the description you would think. But then he does it, and you're like, how? it's just so perfect oh it was
0: so great yeah that yeah the two of you were great together we'd love to watch that and all, all the behind the scenes stuff as well that we've seen on Twitter I think I've seen like you mentioned like a couple of videos of you guys singing together and it's just really sweet
2: <laughs> so many <laughs> there's so many that aren't posted <laughs>
0: Okay, this is quite a good one. I think this is from Instagram as well. What's your favorite thing about Lyra as a character?
2: Well, my favorite thing is that she's a very necessary character right now because it is true that there is less sexism than there was like a few years back. There is still a lot. And what I love about Lyra is that she's basically the only character I know that is a woman that has like no sort of sexual power whatsoever so that like ticks off the complete sexual object part of her and she is just completely her determination and strength and just Lyra it has nothing to do with her being a woman it is the same like Lyra would work as a man or as a woman like there is nothing stopping her like it's not like Mrs. Coulter who is obviously Mrs. Coulter is obviously a really feminist character but at the same time she is A sexual object like that is how she climbs but lyra just it's completely guided off her inner strength which is amazing and which is really 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 important right now for young girls to see so that they don't think that what their job is in the world is be a sexual object for men so that they can see, oh wow i can get by without using my sexuality which is amazing which i loved doing because It's really weird for actresses to get these opportunities to just play someone with zero sexuality whatsoever. It's a really great answer.
1: That's part of what drew drew us to the books, definitely. Me getting Faye to read the books. I was amazed she hadn't read them. And the main selling point I gave her was like, why have you not read these? They're about a girl that kicks ass 100% of the time. (laughs) And then she was like, oh, strong female protagonist. I'm
2: in. (laughs) I'm in. No, definitely. I read the books and I was like, yes,
0: thank you. How did you bring that to your, your performance of Lyra? And was that something that you discussed with the producers? Or is it just, is it just something that you hold within you that you feel is important to Lyra?
2: No, I've, talk- I've had a lot of conversations with Jane Trander about this, which was from costume to everything. Usually when you see a 13-year-old girl in TV shows from now, she's usually wearing like crop tops and like flirting with boys. And we really just wanted to... Not like Lyra is sort of a bit of a tomboy, but we didn't want it to be Lyra is unsexual because she is a tomboy. It's because she is Lyra and she is a child. And then once she grows into her sexuality, it doesn't have anything to do with her inner strength, like I was saying. So me and Jane did talk a lot about that. And Caroline made sure that the costumes were as plain as possible, like no very... I'm here and I'm a woman type of thing. So yeah, there was definitely a lot of chat about trying to keep Lyra as childish as possible and as like unsexual as possible so that it's purely just her.
0: On that, obviously you've grown up a lot since you filmed the first season. Is there concern about you and Amir aging out of the roles? I I know there's a lot of stuff that can be done now in like makeup and costume and stuff. But I wondered what your take on that is. Do you think that that would or has been an issue?
2: It was an issue during season two, because obviously at me and Mia's age, you can in three months look like a different person completely. And I think we both had a growth spurt during season two, sort of. But that's why they tried to film season one and two back to back so that that didn't suddenly happen. And you're like, Lara's a child. And then oh my God, Larry looks like a 20-year-old. No. So they tried to do it like back-to-back back really quickly so that it all looked equal. And Amir-wise, it was quite... Amir literally filmed. He did two weeks, I think, or more of like Will's World. And then he had a few weeks off, and then we came back. So Amir was like, in less than a month, he was already doing season two. So I think they weren't really worried Amir-wise. I think they were more worried about me because I finished in December, and then I came back in like July... So that's quite a long time. So there was like them trying to make us look as young as possible. And that's why if season three happens, they're leaving some time so that we can grow. And it's like Will and Lyra have now grown and they're older and it's not again back to back. And you're like, why is everything so- happening so fast? I think
0: Rachel and I have had
2: this conversation before.
0: It's like people can will just dis- suspend their disbelief for things like that as well, because people grow up like you can't stop people from aging as much as you might want to
2: <laughs> yeah Jane Tranter was always joking about I'm gonna give you pills so that you guys like stop growing during filming she didn't <laughs> though she's a good producer. <laughs> but there was always joking about like I'm going to press you down when you play and stuff
1: did you ever have to resort to um the old yellow pages trick one of you has to stand on a box to maintain the idea that you've not changed heights
2: <laughs> well no but okay there's a there's a pretty big height difference in between me and Amir because. I'm normal-ish on the short side, and Amir is tall. And so <laughs> there wasn't a lot of, like, matte boxes and stuff, although there was a few times that I did have to, they'd be like, if there was a staircase, they'd be like, definitely go on the stairs, like, Amir, stay down so that we can get you two-in-a-two two shot and stuff. So there was there was moments like that when they'd, like, try to put make me look, like, not so that it looked like I was suddenly taller, but so that we could be in the same shot and, and not have to, like, tip it so that we're both in it.
0: Were there any scenes that you shot for season one that didn't make the cut that you wished to add?
2: Yes, there there's this really amazing scene that Lewin did, which with me. And this was when this was the scene where I realized like when we were filming that I was like, wow, this Lewin is really talented. Actually, after this scene, I wrote him a really long note on like a hotel notebook, you know, these little rip-out page notebooks that they give you at hotels in Oxford saying, like, you're so talented and being, like, really in awe of Lewin. And it was right, it's the scene that goes right after the dinner scene with Mrs. Coulter when we talk and I tell him we're going north and he says, like, no, we can't go north, we live here and there's this, like, massive argument we have. And I was really sad because I cut that out and then that means that last time I see Roger in the show, we're on good terms, but the sad part about that was that we left arguing and like crying, and it was like a really emotional scene of an argument between us. And that made everything much more dramatic, which was like, if Roger dies, my last words to him were like, you're going to regret this. And it was really mean. So I loved that scene. I was really sad they cut it. But it still looks good, so it's fine. We'd
1: really love to know. What was your favourite set or location to work in? That's a question from Instagram, but also having watched the documentary and seeing how much effort goes into building those sets, I want to know which was the most like spectacular to be in.
2: Season one wise, I'd say Bolvanga. I loved filming a Bolvanga. Like it was you see it and you think it's just little rooms. No. It was Bolvanga. Like you had to walk through, like to get on set you had to know what Bolvanger's geography was like so you had exterior Bolvanger which is obviously the place for the Tartars and the wolves and stuff, which was obviously a different soundstage. The interior, like you'd walk to the girls' dorms and like, it was amazing. We actually, there was, we had lunch there a couple days, which fun fact, our 100th day on HCM, we did in Bolvanga and me and Lewin made a cake. So that's a very emotional place for me. So I love Bolvanga and it was crazy. Like all of the lights and like, it was amazing. So cool.
0: So many like, and again, like Rich mentioned in the documentary, like you kind of see the effort that went into making these huge sets and even down to like the little posters in the window and things in the shops in like Trollesund and stuff and yeah you just have to like applaud the people that work on that because it's just amazing.
2: Trollesund was crazy also like Trollesund was literally they made a town in the Brecon Beacons which is just like sheep and green and they made like an entire town. It was crazy it was mad it was actually like madness i arrived and i was like what the hell is going on here like they made a lake of blood they made a lake they dug a hole they filled it with water and then they poured blood wow (laughs) yes
0: thank you it was crazy what was your favorite lyra scene from the first season
2: i love all of the stunt scenes and stuff but i have to say my last scene roger's death i loved filming roger's death because i love those sorts of emotional scenes i love them r.i.p roger
0: (laughs) yeah heartbreaking
2: hashtag justice for roger <laughs> definitely yeah. Thank you. no one said it i was like god an 11 year old boy dies and no one gives him just like what the hell Psychopath.
0: <laughs> no we completely agree i think we actually said in our tv shows that we did i think we actually said the exact same hashtag we were just like justice for roger
2: <laughs> he's so underappreciated you, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i guess that one or probably thing with ruth I had, I had a lot of amazing scenes with Ruth.
1: So we talked a little about how, like, how amazing the sets and stuff were, but everyone wants to know about the prop, the alethiometer. How cool was it getting to hold an alethiometer? Were there multiple copies? And loads of people want to know if you got to keep it.
2: I'm still cross with Joel about not keeping it. Like I was genuinely offended, but no, there was, there were a few copies. There was like the really, okay, let me, I'll walk you from the worst to the best. There was this really terrible foam shaped thing, which I put like in my dungarees so it bulked up, but it was just a crap piece of square foam. Like that was all it was. And then it scaled up to when it had to have a bit of weight, there was a piece of square wood. And then... It went into this grey plastic alethiometer, which was like the alethiometer, but it was plastic. And that was basically, like, I don't even know why they made that. I think that was just for rehearsals. And then there was the metal one with no needles, which was really cool. And then there was the metal one with the needles, which is the one that you can spin around and do stuff. I think there was only one of each. There might have been more, and they might have not told me, so I wouldn't break them. Now, I am known for being clumsy. I did not break a single alethiometer. I fixed one from a props guy i am just saying wow <laughs> just amazing serious. although i love the alethiometer with all of my heart it is so heavy it's really heavy like you know the little bag that i have a discussion like the argument with it broke like the thing it broke because the alethiometer was too heavy for the bag and i have to run with that alethiometer like it's really annoying like my dungarees would like slip down when i had the real one in <laughs> That's why they made the foam one, because it was too heavy.
1: I would have never thought it would be super heavy, but I kind of love that it is, because I guess it makes it feel really real.
2: Yeah, and annoying. But yeah, no, it, no it's true. It, it is really helpful for it to be heavy. It's not like it's not like 10 kilos, but it is like more than you expect, and with a crappy little bag thing, like it does break.
0: So one of the other questions that we had, which is quite interesting, actually, because you said you've read all five of the books now. Would you be interested in playing an older version of Lyra? Because obviously... You have aged quite a bit since the first season because it was quite a while ago now. It wouldn't be long until you're actually at an age where you could play the older Lyra in the books of dust. Would that be something that you'd be interested in?
2: It would be an honour. I really, I'm in love with these books. I think Philip is like the most amazing writer ever. He's such a nice man also. And I, think, I don't know, it feels really like narcissistic, but I really want to be able to play Lyra. Like I really want to be able to be her through the entire journey. But that is really just, like not up to me, it's up to producers and if the other seasons get made. But I would really, really, really happily play her. And I love seeing how she evolves into book five.
0: It'd be great as well, because I don't think you get to see that very often. So you've got the original trilogy and hopefully the three TV seasons, and then to have the same person play the same character when she's older as well. It's not something that you've, we've seen very often.
1: Also getting to see your favourite character after the original trilogy's finished, the moment when when it was announced that the second trilogy was going to be a thing, I think it's so exciting to hear what happens. Like, you never really hear about what happens to Harry after the Battle of Hogwarts, but getting to know where Lyra is in her life after having literally changed the world forever is amazing.
2: I was really excited because also I met Philip obviously at the auditions and stuff, but then I met him later on on set and he was writing the fifth book at the time. La Belle Sauvage had come out the year before and he was writing Secret Commonwealth. And I remember just like going up to him and trying to bribe him into telling me, I was like, so, Philip, my man, I hear you, you're writing. Hmm? Can you tell me anything? And he just went...
1: (laughs) And I was like, oh, all
2: right, well, that went well. So I didn't know anything. And then in season two... I came into my trailer and there was a copy. There were three copies of the books, one for my mum, one for my dad, and one for me. And it said, to Daphne Keen, lots of love, Philip. And I was like,
0: yes! Oh, that's so
1: sweet.
2: Yes. Yes. Oh. He's so sweet. But like, honestly, I would genuinely love to play Lara because who wouldn't?
1: How was it meeting Philip? Were you quite scared to be like, I'm just going to be this character you spent your life writing about? Or was it just really nice? to get to meet him how was he
2: <laughs> he was he's absolutely lovely he's one of the sweetest people ever I was really nervous like you said to meet him I met him at Oxford we were filming like it was our first second week of filming first week of filming something like that and I was like I was meeting the writer of my character and I was a massive fan of his because I'd read the books by now I was reading book three at the time on set we'd all been told that morning that like Philip was coming on set so like me and Lewin were both like there was like this whole rumor about is Philip going to come on set? Is Philip going to come on set? I think Philip's going to come on set. And like everyone was like really nervous about like where Philip would appear. It was basically like Batman. Like we didn't know where he was going to appear or when, they just said after lunchtime. So like during the entire morning, we were all quite chill. And then as soon as we finished lunch, we were all like, where is he? And then he came up to us on our 15-minute break and he was like, hi, I'm Philip Portman. And I was like, hi, I'm Daphne. And then Loon was there and Daniel Frogson, who I adore, was also there and Tyler Howitt. And we were all like, hi, with the kids. And then, I was really nervous because I was like, oh my God, I'm like, I always have this really massive insecurity about me, like not looking like Lyra at all. And I was like, oh God, maybe he's not happy with casting. And he's just like, why did they get this Latin child to play Lyra? But he came on and there was obviously barely any filming. So he said, "Uh, I bet you're going to do a great job. And then he came back at the end and he said to me, well, he said this to me at the red carpet, like we came out with the premiere and he said... I would have never wished for a better Lyra. You were absolutely amazing. And his wife came up to me and, they, and his wife was like, I was concerned that you didn't look like Lyra, but then I saw you playing her and I realized that doesn't matter because you were amazing. And I got So I almost, like, I cried. I had to go to the bathroom and cry because of the excitement of, like, Philip Pullman and his wife congratulating me on my job. It was really one of the most emotional moments of my entire life I'd say oh that's so lovely so lovely
0: and also I was gonna say I'm sure you've heard this but please don't feel insecure about not looking like Lyra because you do such a great job and I don't think I mean for me now I don't think I could picture Lyra being played by anyone else and I remember when we we've been reading the book through for the podcast and when it said she was blonde I was like huh why, why do I not see that in my head? And it's because I was thinking of you. So, yeah, please don't be insecure about it because you very much encompass Lyra.
2: Oh, thank you. I'm going to cry again. Stop.
0: <laughs> we don't want to make you cry on a Sunday. We'll try. Our
2: best don't make not me cry on a Sunday, please. No. <laughs> no, but that actually does mean a lot. Like, genuinely. Oh, I'm so glad.
1: In the books, I also think Philip never hams it home what Lyra looks like. There's like a, a few lines here or there that say that she's got distinctive hair or that she's easy to spot in a crowd, but, like, nothing that's, like, this is yeah. what your character looks like. And I love that about the books, because you can see anyone in the role. And that's part of what I love about the casting as well, is that they're so diverse.
2: There, there were a few people who were, like, who obviously there are... Lyra is the most detailed description of character because she's the lead. But, for example, Will is just... It says strong jaw and, like, brown hair. And, obviously, like, people make their images in their heads. And Ruth is, like, brave and black hair. And then there's, like, Barely any other descriptions, so lots of fans from the books had made their images, and then they went on Twitter and they were like, "Daphne Keen and Amir Wilson don't look like the characters." And I was like, "Well, I don't, but technically Amir does because it just says strong jaw and like brown hair." And then they were like, "Well, Aria Bakari doesn't look like it," and I was just—it was just like really pissing me off. I'm sorry I had to say it, but I was like, "It doesn't say it in the book. Like, it just." Firstly, the description does fit. Like the fact that you imagined something different in your head doesn't mean that what the casting directors have done is wrong. And maybe what if it changes? Like maybe it's for the better. Like who knows?
1: Also, like that's fine. You go and make your own version yeah, thank of you. this Bye. Thing. cast it how you want to cast it, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is great though. And, and like you said, it's the cast being so diverse and like Philip leaving room for that in the books is what makes everything, it makes it all so wonderful. And I think because We all know that everyone involved with making the TV show are massive fans of the books in the first place. That you know that they're going to do a good job. Whether you think that it's a good job or not, you know that they've done it with love. And I think that's the only thing that you can ask for. It's not like it's just been thrown out there because they think it'll make some money. Like everyone involved seems to really, really love the books and want to make the best thing that they can possibly make.
2: Yeah, we're all, I think we're all very. In love, as you say, with the books, and we all just want it to look the best possible and turn out as good as possible. Like, there is no one who is not a fan of the books on the show, honestly. Like, we're all massive just fans. We're just all like fangirling over Philip all day. I mean, same. <laughs> who does them, honestly? Pretty much. <laughs> We've got uh,
1: another great question on Instagram, which is a classic, a classic question. What was one of the funniest moments or funniest stories that's happened while you've been filming on set?
2: Well, we were, we are a pretty jokey cast, but I'd say my funniest moments have probably been with Lewin or with Len, because, just because of the fact that we're both like proper pranksters, there's, Lewin's really clumsy, so he falls over constantly, which is very funny. And Lynn and I sing all the time with Lewin, which is also brilliant, but me and Lewin, we constantly prank each other. So it was like prank central on set. And we did it also in season two, but I'm not allowed to talk about that. So I was like, I'm really nice to Lewin. I'm always like really helpful with him. And I was like, oh, do you want me to go get you a drink? So I got him a drink and we like filled it with stuff that we weren't supposed to fill it with. So we were like, we put a ton of chili in it and like disgustingness, like soap and stuff. And then he drank it and it was like, ew. and then he got me back really bad. I can't, he did something really bad, but it was constantly like, if you ask the chaperones, they love us, but they were like, please just stop. There were these little, little trailer cupboards that are like at the top on top of doors and stuff. And we were, we're both quite small. Like we I think we'd say we're medium sized now, but obviously this was a couple of years back. So we were obviously much smaller. So we'd climb into these cupboards and like scare each other from the cupboards. There were lots, lots of funny moments. I remember this one time I, they had to improvise this wall and I didn't know it was an improvised wall. So I like leaned on it and it was like this really intense bull battle scene. And I just like, if you look at the scene, I'm like peeking through the wall and in one of these takes, I leaned on the wall and the wall just went. Oh. And I was just left there with like no wall. And I was like, <laughs> oh, what have I done? That was, yeah, that was, it was really, we have a really good time on set. Like, honestly, we're all so clumsy and like prank each other constantly.
0: <laughs> if hopefully, fingers crossed, season three gets made. Is there anything in that book that you are looking forward to playing as Lyra?
2: I'm really looking forward to Land of the Dead. If we do that, if season three gets made, I would really love to do Land of the Dead and Will and Lyra's goodbye scene. Because that's really, I love, as I said, I love emotional scenes, man. They're just like my soft spot. I love them.
0: I I was going to say, I don't know if I'm emotionally prepared to see Will and Lyra's goodbye scene on screen. Like I remember reading it and I finished the book and walked into my living room and my partner was in there and I was like crying. and, And he was like, oh my God, what's
2: happened? And I was like, I just finished.
0: Kind of texted Rich like Rich yeah, is horrible.
2: Yeah. I read it. I read it. I think I read it on set, and I was just like crying, and everyone was like, "Are you okay?" And I was like, "I'm just reading like three. I'm i It was. It's a really emotional book. It's really. Yeah. I don't know anyone who has been able to like keep a straight face during reading it. It's, it's hardcore stuff, man. It's really intense. It is. It is. Yeah. I'd really love
1: to know if there's any other characters that speak to you personally that are like really great strong feminist characters either from literature you've read growing up or from tv and film that are your favorites
2: i love anna frank i think she's just amazing i've i think i've read the diary like three times i honestly love her but i just watched during this quarantine my mum made me watch three colors blue it's like a french film Julie Vino, she's like the lead in it, and it's she, her performance is amazing. It's really feminist character. It's just it's a stunning film. The photography is amazing, and I just really loved the character itself because it does portray a woman. So you see a woman. It's not like like I said, you don't have to be a tomboy to not have a sexuality. So she does have a sexuality, and she's a woman, but she is not a sexual object, which I loved.
1: We always make a point and we've had quite a few people ask as well of asking our guests what is their demon do you know what your demon is
2: well I'm obviously not settled yet because I'm still in puberty but I I think and I've been told by people that mine is a monkey like not a monkey like Mrs. Calder's monkey like you know these little (laughs) tropical monkeys like really cute so one of those because I'm very fidgety. I'm very active. I'm very playful. And I don't know. I just, I've always been like my mom since I was a baby. She's always called me monillo, which is monkey in Spanish. And my chaperone Jan, like on her part, like without knowing my mom called me that, called me monkey. And like a monkey is my nickname on set. And it's like, I am a monkey. So I I guess it would be that, but it hasn't settled yet. So who knows, maybe in like two years, it's a beetle or something. I don't know.
0: (laughs) should we ask you again in a couple of years and you can let us know what it's been set, what it's settled as
2: yeah, yeah. I, I would like that that would be good
1: yeah we like to imagine like if if demons never settled we always discuss at the beginning of every episode of the podcast what your demon would have been that week based on your mood so I don't know if your demon might have been something different during lockdown perhaps that monkey would have been too restless at <laughs> home
2: oh definitely this week with school stress it would not have been a monkey it would have been probably something like a Something really like depressed and like I really I can't deal with this right now. I'm trying to think of like a really uh, animal.
0: I think I said a sloth at one point.
2: Sloth, sloth's perfect. Yeah, that would be me this week definitely. I can't, I can't take. I'm just like, oh, help.
0: I suppose one of the other questions that's quite similar that a lot of people asked: if you could ask a real elethiometer a question, what would you ask it?
2: I'd say, will we ever treat? every single human being in the same way. Or will we just like have all of this difference in between us and all of this? This crazy stuff about George Floyd this week and all of these women, there are two women being killed weekly in the UK just for being a woman. And there are people who are being attacked because they like people that are the same gender as them or because they, they're men and they're like putting makeup on or because they, they can't move unless they're in a wheelchair. And it's just like crazy. I just think... I just really need to know if all of these people basically giving their lives to this fight are actually worth it or if we're going to all just end up the same, like, just being treated like we are now.
0: That's such a great question. You're very wise beyond your years. I like that. Thanks. (laughs) There's obviously so much going on in the world right now. We wanted to ask you, and I suppose really... It's not really just a question for you, Daphne. I suppose we could all have opinions on this. But what do we think that Lyra would be doing if she was here? And do you have any messages to like pass on to fans of the books and of Lyra?
2: I'd say to the first part of the question about what Lyra would be doing, I think Lyra would be going to protests constantly. I think she'd probably appear at the White House and like, bomb it or something. I honestly... Yeah that's a very liar thing to do She just yes. go right to the top just like skip all of the in-betweens just like write the system from where it comes from I'd say she'd be very active about it and like speaking a lot about it and message wise to the fans I just say it's very short so I'll keep it short and sweet I just say don't discriminate just because it's not like you and everyone is different and that doesn't make it wrong you can be from a different culture you can be from a different religion a different gender a different sexuality like that doesn't make you less or more that's great yeah
0: I agree with you I think Lyra would be right at the front of everything yeah doing whatever
1: she could Lyra is all about pinpointing the top of the pyramid and taking it down oh yeah no
2: no she goes right to the top she doesn't go through all the in-between she just goes president great let's go (laughs) absolutely yeah
1: if you could go back in time and tell yourself something what would you tell yourself before you started playing Lyra?
2: I'd say just really enjoy filming. I did enjoy filming, but I'd say just like be grateful for it because when you're in quarantine, you're really going to miss it and you're really going to miss the people and stay in contact with them which I'm doing but I just like to remind myself to stay in contact with them because they're very important to me great answer
0: so yeah I think that's everything if you want to do you want to tell people where they can find you on social media and if you've got anything coming up that people should know about
2: I would like to promote season two of Dark Materials yeah go watch whenever it comes out which I don't know about yet but (laughs) go watch it and follow me at Daphne Keen on Instagram um, basically all social media is just Daphne keen with an f with an f with an f
0: <laughs> great well yeah thank you so much Daphne we have loved having no, thank you,
1: you. Oh. oh my god how good was that
0: <laughs> oh my god I can't reach. I just can't oh Daphne we appreciate you and thank you again I know we said it in the intro but my god what a great interview Loved it so much,
1: so much. Again, it's just such a lovely, happy family, and I love that. Oh my god, I love that she hadn't read the books and now she's obsessed with them. It makes me so happy. I just couldn't be happier with how that interview went and how lovely she is and how lovely everyone that's had contact with the show is. It's just a big happy family. It really is. And what what did you say in our Russell interview that we're some kind of like weird cousin, <laughs> with the awkward aunties that show up <laughs> at the family reunion that everyone forgot about. <laughs> you're not really related but we keep showing up anyway trying to get all the goss <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that's it oh but yes thank you
0: so much and thanks to everyone for listening as well we hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed talking to Daphne and hopefully it won't be the last time we get to speak to her because I could have talked to her forever
1: I just know there is so much that she wanted to tell us about season two that she yeah. couldn't so fingers crossed for that all-important season two download when that airs because I don't know if I've ever been this excited for a new season of something as well. She's got me really excited for season two. Oh my god, Sam, I can't wait. Thank you so much for listening to this special episode of Her Dark Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at hdmpod. And you can email us at her.materialspod at gmail.com. If you want to support
0: us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find us.
1: Thank you so much to Daphne and her family for their time. You can find Daphne on Instagram and Twitter at Daphne Keen with an F not a (laughs) PH. I'm Faye and when I'm not talking about Lyra and
0: Pan or talking to Daphne I'm probably writing. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Faye which is F-A-Y-E-L-E-Triple Y -Y 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 -Y. and if you want to read some of my blog posts I'm on medium at faye.ducker.
1: I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about demons and dust and Daphne, then I'm making designer toys, art and illustrations. You can find me over on Instagram at rachemakes, on Twitter at rach_makes, and in my online shop, rachemakes.co.uk. A big thanks, as always, to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings. We'll see you soon,
0: and don't forget, keep telling stories, and all will be well.
1: I can't believe that just happened. Oh my God. Ah.